Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thanks for joining us for another special edition of Take Two. Joining me today is Congressman Chris Stewart. Thanks so much for being with us. Always great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. We are just a few weeks out from the election. I think ballots drop tomorrow in mailboxes, so it's getting serious. Yeah. Uh, tell me what, as you're heading out and talking to your district and talking to people you represent, what is the number one thing where they're saying, this is most important to me, it's most important to my family, and this is what needs to get fixed? Yeah, this one isn't even close, and it's not going to surprise you, Heidi. No question, it's inflation and, and the price of energy. I see it all the time. I've seen intense personal examples. I had a, uh, an example last week where this woman who runs a crisis center for abused women and children they have a budget. She budgets this amount for food. Six months into the year, her budget was expended. And uh, she had women who were leaving uh, the center and actually going back to their abuse, abusing spouse because they had nowhere else to go and they couldn't afford to buy groceries on their own. You have you know, young families who call their mom and dad and say, hey, I just can't come up for, for dinner on Sunday, can't afford the gas. Uh, farmers who can't afford to drive out to the ranch. I mean, it is hurting everyone. No question, it's the it's first thing people want to talk about. So how do we solve that problem? Sometimes people just say they throw their hands in there and say, hey, we have to wait for this to fix itself. Is there something that Congress can do to start uh, changing this at all? And let's start with specifically inflation. Is yeah. there anything there that's already happening, whether it's Biden's um, inflation plan that passed, uh, whether some people say that might help, but maybe in the long run or not? What do we well, do? Well, there's been no more ironically named piece of legislation in the history of the universe and calling this the Inflation Reduction Act because it does zero to it to reduce inflation. And, and anyone who looks at it honestly will say, yeah, I can't really find anything in there that's going to impact inflation other than make it worse. And so the, the answer to this question, how do you deal with this? And I wish it was easier than this, but this is what it's going to take. We've spent $10 trillion in two years, $10 trillion. That's why we have inflation. It's not supply chain. A year ago, a little bit of it was. It's not the war in Ukraine. That's affected energy prices, but not the inflation we're seeing here in the United States or, or frankly, around the world. We've simply spent too much money. The only way we fix that is we've got to sp quit spending that much money. We've got to cut our budgets. Republicans know that. We fought against these things for the last 18 months. Uh, but that's the only solution to this is we've got to cut government spending. So how do you do this? Because I've talked to some of our other congressional leaders and Senator Mike Lee, and oftentimes there are no votes and people get mad because they're on bills that have a human interest story to go with it, whether it's the burn pits or something with Medicaid or Medicare. And people are looking at it and say, well, why don't you vote yes for this? Because yeah. there's an important thing that has to get passed, but it's 
packed onto a lot uh, larger budgetary spending. Yeah. So how do you go and change this? Because no one's been able to change it yet. How do you make it so we're not <clears throat> pushing through bills that we don't know what's in them and we're spending money we don't have? Yeah, so there's no question what you said is absolutely true. And it's a great illustration why people get frustrated with the government. And let me use burn kits as an example. I'm a veteran. You know I'm a veteran. Come from a family of veterans, my dad, my brothers, are, and now our children. I want to support our veterans, but the burn pit had very little to do with actually supporting veterans. It was tens of billions of dollars, nothing at all to do with veterans. It was piled with all sorts of stuff. So you have to be willing to say no to those things, which is hard sometimes, because then I have to stand before the veteran community and say, look, I'm one of you, but I couldn't support this bill because of all this additional spending. Um, the second thing is, uh, when Republicans take the House in November, and I'm confident we will, and I'm increasingly confident we'll have the Senate as well, we'll be able to block some of this excessive spending. Not billions of dollars, trillions of dollars of spending, but it's gonna take more than that. And last part of this is I think actually good news. Republicans in 2015, 16, and 17, for the first time since the Korean War, we actually cut the federal, def or the federal budget. We actually cut the amount of money the federal government was spending. We've done it before, we know how to do it, we can do it again. It won't be easy, but give us the opportunity and we're gonna do it again. And cutting the budget, that'll take time too because there's a lot of money in the economy, so inflation just doesn't go away. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, what about gas prices? Could I elaborate sure. on that? Just yeah. because I've, I've talked to some Democrat leaders, Democrat economists, who they think we're in for maybe a decade of inflation. Now I hope it's not that long, and I don't think it will be. But uh, even some of our Democratic friends are saying, yeah, this is going to take time, to your point, this is going to take time for that money to flow through the economy. And usually we see when prices go up, they rarely, if ever, I don't remember in my lifetime, where they go back down. So we're headed in that <clears throat> direction. Gas prices, I know nationally there's been a lot of talk that they were kind of trickling down, 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 and then headed back up again. Here in Utah, we didn't see that drop. We're still high. How do we fix this problem in the long term? Because Ukraine uh, has added to the problem. but. Each country has kind of fed into it with their decisions yeah. they've made. How do we fix that here in the no U.S.? No question what you said is that every country is fed into it. We committed suicide when it comes to our energy policy, and it was so unnecessary. And I would remind you and, and your viewers, two years ago we were 100% energy independent. We did not need to import a drop of oil or any natural gas. And then the, this president came to power, and in the very first day, 52 executive orders, including shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, shutting down oil and gas exploration and permitting here in the West, in Alaska, in all of our offshore oil and gas, uh, the resources that we have there. More than that, he also told the regulators, I want you to demonize the oil and gas industry. Let's talk about the, what evil, greedy people they are. And pressure the regulators not to not to work with them the financial institutions don't work with oil and gas producers well if you're shell or british petroleum having that relationship with the bank you can probably get through that but if you're a small producer like out in eastern utah if you're a small developer you've got to have a relationship with the bank and when the regulators the federal regulators are saying don't work with oil and gas it's huge for those guys the good news though once again we know how to fix it we need to go back to where we were two years ago, reverse these policies, and we once again, the oil and gas industry will tell us, give us eight months, take away these regulations, give us eight months, and we'll have gas down to 220 again. 
If we can do that and reverse it, what's the plan to diversify for the future? Because a lot of people say the future is electric and a lot of people say, let's just stick with what we've got. We probably can't have all of our eggs in one basket. What's the answer to moving forward to a sustainable future where we can uh, clean up the air and we can also make yeah. sure that we can all run the vehicles that we own and we can afford? Well, again, I'm so glad you bring this up because the, we, we live in Utah because we love Utah, right? I love to ski, rock climb. We love to look and see the beautiful mountains. And sometimes people, when they're talking with me, they go, well, you're a Republican, you don't care about the environment. Well, what nonsense, of course I do, all of us do. Um, and, and the answer is actually what I've been a proponent of for since the time I've been in Congress, it really is all of the above. One of the largest solar farms in the, in the nation is it built here in Utah. We helped get the permitting for that. One of the largest wind, in windmill facilities. We got hundreds of millions of dollars for the University of Utah to do research on geothermal. I'm a huge advocate for the new nuclear, the small modular reactors. They could change the world if we open up the world to the nuclear possibilities. While we're working towards these great solutions, we need to recognize you can't shut down the oil and gas industry. You just can't do it. If you do, you're going to drive the price of energy up and that hurts the poorest among us. So let's work towards the other technologies, but at the same time, let's not shut down the spigot of, that, of the energy industry that keeps our economy going right now. It will take a little negotiation. A lot of people are looking and saying that it might take uh, Congress being split, where maybe there was a little bit more debate and people can sit down and really solve problems. How do we get back to that no matter what happens in the election? Is there a way that we can get back to the brass tacks, sit down and negotiate with both sides, coming up with some common sense solutions on a myriad of issues? Yeah, I really think there is. And the reason I believe that is because we've done it in the past. Again, in the, in the relatively short time I've been in Congress, I was first elected and President Obama's president. We worked with him. When I talked earlier about cutting government spending, we worked with him to do that, 2015, 16, and 17. As controversial as President Trump was, we worked and the Democrats worked with him on some important legislation. So I think even as divided as we are as a nation right now, when things really get bad as they are right now, we find a way to try to, try to find a solution and I'm hoping and I'm optimistic after the election we'll be able to. President Biden at this point has opened up applications for people to apply for the loan uh, forgiveness or uh, wiping it out, whatever you want to call it right now. Uh, it's taking care of 10,000 for some, up to 20,000 for others. And this is families that could be making up to 125,000 or 250,000 if they're filing jointly. Uh, was this a good idea? Does it fix anything or is this a Band-Aid on a bullet hole? No, it's a terrible idea. It's so unfair. And I think they recognize that it was a political blunder for them to do that. And the reason I say that is because they never talk about it now. Because it's been so divisive for Americans. You have so many people have come and talked to me and said, you know what, I worked my way through college. And now you're compelling me to pay for someone who didn't. My kids paid off their student loans. And now you're going to force my kids who really sacrificed to pay off their student loans, you're going to force them to pay off someone else's. My family is a great example. I have sons who are lawyers and doctors. They make great money, but they've got a lot of loans, as you can imagine. I have a son-in-law I'm so proud of. He's an electrician. He works really, really hard. And you're going to say to him, you have to pay off the student loans of these people over here who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. I mean, Americans just look at this. They go, it just seems so unfair. Have you talked to any families where they say, you know, this will give us a lifeline and take care of this debt that was, you know, pushing them underwater? Sure, we've talked to some people who appreciate that, but, uh, but my response to them is you realize that someone is paying for that. You know, the money doesn't come out of thin air. It's not forgiven. The loan still has to be paid. Someone has to pay it. 
and you're asking other people to pay for your loan. Does this open the door to the fact that Congress will have to look at higher education? Because one would assume that, I think it was Mitt Romney who said that expectation might be the most dangerous part of this, because mm -hmm. after you pay off a certain amount of student loans, there's always more students coming through getting just as big a loans. Is there going to be an expectation that they keep getting paid off or that they'll have to because they're saying, well, I took these loans out thinking, you know, that the government was going to pay yeah. them off. Well, and if the government's going to pay them off, why would anyone not go to school and not take on loans? Why would someone say, I'm going to discipline myself and work my way through college? They're going to say, no, I'm going to take student loans and they're going to pay them off for me. And there's one other thing about this that I think is important, and that is we do a disservice with all of our young people when we tell them that if they don't graduate from college, they failed somehow. A lot of kids, it's the best path forward and they can accomplish so many things. But a lot of kids can have a great career as an electrician, as a builder, as a carpenter, as a plumber, as a welder. Uh, and they get at the end of the day, they get to look and say, look what I built, I did this. Uh, and we sometimes make those young people feel like, well, you haven't accomplished as much because you didn't go to college. That's just simply not true. Let's also encourage some kids to say, you don't have to go to college to have a happy life, to have a great career. Uh, for a lot of kids, it's a far better choice to avoid the college experience altogether. The trades certainly help make the world go round. Is there anything Congress can do to help the cost of higher education? Because it keeps going up and up and up. Because this, of course, doesn't fix the problem. Is there something that can be done in the future yeah. where we make it realistic for those who do need and want to go to school? Well, I think there's two things that I would mention. Number one is quit subsidizing it. Because when you pay off college loans, you're subsidizing it. You can't tell me that the cost of tuition isn't going to go up $20,000 as soon as the student loans are, are, are begin to be paid off. The second thing is, as I've mentioned here, uh, I think our education system, encouraged by the federal government, should encourage young people to be uh, take a more personalized approach to what they want to do with their life and not belittle them or make them feel like, uh, like I've said earlier, that they somehow weren't as successful as someone who took another career path. Uh, and then I would ask one other thing, and that is uh, the federal government has got to put pressure on the administrators, the, the, uh, the university administrators, who we can do that because they all, almost all of them receive enormous federal funds to say, look at your own cost because when you consider the cost of administration versus the cost of what they're paying their professors, the administrators have taken an enormous percentage of that over the last about 20 years. If you're elected again, is there anything that can be done that you see on the horizon for fixing immigration? Democrats and Republicans alike for decades have said we need to do something, yeah. but there's always an election around the corner and nothing ever gets fixed. Uh, when Democrats are controlled, Republicans go to the border and say it's a mess and vice versa. So how do we take this problem, which is a problem when you see more than two million people in the last fiscal year passing through, how do you fix that so it becomes sustainable for our communities as we take people in, yeah. that it can work and it can be part of the American way? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing is what you just said. We have to secure the southern border. You can't have two million people enter the country illegally. That's in the last two years, and who knows how many in the next two years. And I don't know why that's controversial. I mean, I talk to a lot of Democrats who feel like, yeah, we really should control our borders. We should have the sovereignty of our nation. But now, after that, it gets a little more complicated. Uh, and you know what's ironic about this, Heidi, is that the perception has been for a long time, well, Republicans aren't interested in working on this issue. And, the, and the completely the opposite is true. I'm a Republican. I was always supportive of DACA, for example. If you came here as a six-month-old, you don't have a country to go back to. You don't know the language. Someone who came here as an infant, we should allow that person to stay and to stay here legally. Most Republicans feel that way. President Trump felt that way. He actually had a proposal that would offer something like 1.8 million people who came here as children that would allow them permanent residency. 
Um, so this is an area where I think Republicans and Democrats, I hope, uh, can come together because we're so close. We were so close in the last, under the last president. We're not in the meetings that you are. Is it a priority? Is it something that's realistically going to get done anytime soon in Congress? Uh, uh, immigration reform? DACA, immigration, all of it. Uh, I would predict if we had a Republican president or when we have a Republican president, I think it will be done in the first year. I don't know if President Biden will. I don't know if he's interested in it. I don't hear him talk about it much. And I certainly know he's not interested in securing the southern border. But if we had a Republican president, regardless of who it is, uh, and we secured the southern border, I'm confident we could do that in the first year. As I said, the majority of Republicans three years ago under President Trump were supportive of his proposal to allow permanent residency for DACA recipients. Uh, all of us recognize it's too cumbersome, it's too expensive. Those are easy fixes. So uh, I'm very optimistic. Give us a Republican president and we can, we can work through this. Speaking of easy fixes, geopolitical, before I let you go, I know that you have insight into part of the world that we just don't see. Ukraine is an issue that uh, families, it's not top of mind, but it's a worry when they see what happens there and with Russia. There's worry about what's happening in China. What should our top concern be? And is the U.S. headed in the right direction with, our, with the other geopolitical foes yeah, we're dealing with? You know, with? we're really not. And, and a lot of it, really, unfortunately, comes back to Afghanistan because many of our allies look at us, and I, I've had so many conversations. Hey, we don't know if we can trust you. Will you be there? I was in the Middle East a couple times in the last several months. And every national leader that I met with, and I met with five or seven of them, they all started out the conversation, hey, how are you guys, how are things back home? Are you gonna be okay? And they recognize they need us there. They need our leadership. But when you watch what's happening in Ukraine, it's a, it, it's a very dangerous situation there. There's a lot of volatility. Uh, and it's probably gonna take a long time to figure that out. Well, we've gotta be able to, in some way, bring Vladimir Putin to the negotiating table without pressing him into such a corner that he gets desperate and does something that would change the world. We've gotta deal with China in the, next, in the next probably couple of years. So there's a lot going on out there, obviously, and it, like we saw with the invasion of Ukraine, it can surprise people. You know, I'm not predicting the end of the world, not at all. Uh, but I'm saying that it's a, it's a tenuous time and we should, uh, we should have very strong leadership uh, out of our president and the people around him to work through this. Well, I wish we had another 12 weeks, maybe years, to solve all the world's problems. Yeah. We don't have time for that today. Last word, anything you want people to know before we leave today? Well, I mean, I just what an honor it is to, to be able to represent them, and I really mean that. I'm so proud of the, my district. I'm so proud of the state. I'm so proud to go around the country, around the world, and say, I'm from Utah. And there is something special about this place. And what an honor that they've been able to say to me, we want you to represent us. I'm so grateful for that. Congressman Chris Stewart, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Uh, Everyone probably can just Google, find your websites, and ballots drop in the mail tomorrow. Yeah. So the clock is ticking. Thanks so yep. much for coming in. Thank you.